miserably. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3. As you're turning there, just by way of reminder, if you've been joining us through live stream, you know that we've been going through the book of Philippians, and in chapter 1 we saw the life of the believer. The life of the believer uh, summed up in verse 21 of chapter 1, which is, for me... To live is Christ. In chapter 2, we looked at the mind of the believer. This is the mind that we have as a child of God or that we ought to have as a child of God. And it is summed up in verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here in chapter 3, we're taking a look at the desire of the believer. And we all have different desires, different goals and aspirations. However, uh, within those uh, around everyone's specific realm of uh, abilities, talents, interests, all of us ought to have one desire that is the same. And that desire is actually summed up in verse number 10, if you'll let your eyes fall down to chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Our desire ought to be Christ to know Christ, to know more about Him, to understand the power of His resurrection. Let's take a look here in the first three verses, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at warnings from the Apostle Paul and markings that will give us a little bit more of an understanding of a true believer. Look with me in verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Father, we pray, Lord, your blessings upon your word as any time we open God's word, we ought to desire to know something more of you. We ought to desire, Father, to draw closer to you, draw me nearer, nearer. And Father, our desire is to be changed today. So Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh, Lord, my rock my Redeemer, that Father, today as I speak, that you would hide me behind the cross, empty me of myself, Father, fill me with the power of your Spirit, that I may be able to present your word accurately, and Father, that I may be able to speak as of the oracles of God. We pray these things in your Son's name, and for his sake, and our edification, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In this passage, you're going to note how the Apostle Paul begins telling everyone to, yet again, rejoice. As we look at this, uh, and we look at it closely, we want to understand what is being said here, and we want to note several things in this. 
over and over again in the book of Philippians, the believer is encouraged or, or, or basically told. I, I don't necessarily see uh, a suggestion in the passage there at the very beginning. Finally, my brethren, it might be a good idea, or if you have time, or if you can, or when you think about it, rejoice in the Lord. No, no, no. What is being said is, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is a command. And it's in Scripture written as such. This is not just something that we ought to maybe do when we're having a good day. This is not something that we do when we get time or when, when things are going our way, so to speak. This is not the way it's written. It is written, rejoice, but not just to rejoice. He tells us where our rejoicing ought to be. Rejoice in the Lord. This is why Paul was able to say, I can rejoice in all things. I, I, I can be confident. I can be, I can be at peace. I am okay with whatever comes my way because I find my joy in the person of Jesus Christ. When I do not find my joy in the person of Jesus Christ, it is very easy for the situations and the circumstances to rob us of our joy. And someone may say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you're telling me I need to be joyful when what's going on in my life right now is painful. Listen, Paul is writing this in prison. Have you ever looked at what Paul has gone through? Stoned, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, left for dead. This man had every opportunity and every right. Every one of us would look and say, well, you know what? I'll take my troubled days over what he's gone through any moment. But the Apostle Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Not in the circumstances that you find yourself in. Right after this, Paul starts to warn the Philippians. And mainly he's warning them about some uh, false teachers that are going to come along if they're not paying attention. He focuses on the believer being able to rejoice, but then he steps in, and it's almost like he just changes gears really quickly. He says right there in verse number one, after the rejoice in the Lord phrase, he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now Paul starts to warn at the Philippians, but he does so briefly due to, I believe, their maturity. Now, some commentators uh, believe that uh, what's actually taking place here is that Paul is saying, uh, it's, it doesn't bother me to have to write the same thing that maybe I have written to you before, or I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell it to you again. I, I, have you ever sat in a sermon uh, or in a church service or something, and you're just going, why does the pastor keep talking about this? Well, because it's not a problem for the pastor to keep saying the same things over and over and over. It was a pastor that was one time talking to a family that had left the church, and he said, do you mind if I just ask you, did we do something wrong? And he said, no. He says, you just, all you ever do is you preach the gospel, and you need to preach something other than the gospel. When are you going to start preaching something that's not the gospel? He says, when you all get it. You see, this is the, the apostle Paul is, is not necessarily just saying, it doesn't bother me to tell you the same thing or to write you the same thing. I, I, I understand where the idea might come in there, but what I believe he's saying is he's saying, it doesn't bother me to write to you the same thing I have written to others. 
And if you were to get into the book of Galatians, you'd understand what he's talking about there. If you get into the book of Ephesians, you understand some of what he's talking about there. You get into the book of, uh, of Romans, you understand some of what he's speaking about there. You get into 1 Corinthians, you understand what he's talking about. Because if you look at all of these different letters written by the Apostle Paul, sometimes there's a little bit of repetition that is being made. And he says, it doesn't bother me to tell you the same thing that I have told them. It's safe. And so what Paul is saying here is he says it's good for you, but guess what? He doesn't do it necessarily in the way that he does with the Corinthians. Unlike the Corinthians, he, who he had to say, I'd like to speak to you as spiritual, but I happen to talk to you as carnal because you're acting like a bunch of carnal people. He says, I can see, and you can read through the first two chapters, and you can see the maturity of the, of the people in the Philippi. He says, it's safe. And so he doesn't belabor much of this point. He just gets right to it. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but there's something encouraging about being able to convey truths to someone who is mature. Have you, if, if you've raised children, you understand what I'm talking about. Where you start to you start to talk to one person, one of your one of your children, and you're trying to explain to them something, and and you're just going, why in the world do they not understand this? She is six years old. You'd think she'd be able to understand x plus y equals. You know. <laughs> By the time they're a little bit older, they start to understand more, right? And there's something so encouraging about being able to communicate something. I, I had a counseling session one time. And many counseling sessions are, uh, uh, it, it's, it's just discipleship. That's what counseling really is. is it's disciple, if it's done correctly, it's biblical counseling is discipleship. And there have been times where you've tried to, you, you've met week after 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 week, and you just feel like a broken record. And finally you just have to say, you know what, I, I have nothing more that I can offer you. But I had one counseling session one time. It was a one-day one session. Sat with this person for one hour. And they knew exactly what was going on. And it wasn't because I was anything good. It was because I showed them the word of God and they went, ah, oh, you're right. You're right. It was a maturity to that person. Paul is bringing this out because he's getting ready to give them some warnings and some markings. Look with me here at verse number two. And he points out three types of people to beware of. Look in verse number two right there at the beginning of it. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. I like the way Paul puts beware there before each one. There's an emphasis that's being added to it. He's making sure that you don't overlook this group of people and also beware of this group of people and beware. Now, I understand, you know, for our mailmen, this is probably their favorite verse, beware of dogs. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the ones that go bark, 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 bark. He's talking about a different group of people. Now, some equate this to the unbelievers or the unclean. If you remember, a lady came to Jesus at one point and said, uh, said that 
uh, uh, you know, she wanted uh, just one of the crumbs that fell off the table, and he, she was asking him for help, and he says it's not meat to give, uh, give the, the God's children's food to the dogs. And you look at that and go, did, that, did Jesus just call that woman a dog? Well, you haven't seen her. You don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm kid- kidding. No, he wasn't calling her a bow-wow dog. He was making reference to what the Jews and the Gentiles view of one of the Jewish view of the Gentile was unclean. And back in that day, the dogs were just roaming free, doing their own thing, and they were considered unclean. You didn't have uh, Fido living in the house with you. And so they referred to the unclean or the unregenerate, the ones who did not follow after the one true God. They referred to them as the dogs. Now, a lot of commentators will say that that's what he's talking about. Beware of the unsaved. I don't agree with that. The apostle Paul was one that he went to the unsaved. He didn't just beware the unsaved. And then some will say, well, it's the uh, Judaizers. The Judaizers, in, it was a turn of the phrase because the Judaizers were Jewish people who were trying to muddy the gospel. And the Apostle Paul was saying, well, you know how the Jews used to look at the Gentiles as dogs? Well, now we're looking at the Jews who are trying to make you get circumcised and are trying to add, add circumcision to grace. And they, Okay, so they're dogs in our mind now. No, I don't believe so because we're going to see the Judaizers come in in just a moment. Go back, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 56 with me. And I want you to see what I believe, and this is... I I understand I can be wrong. It's happened before. But I, I want to show you where I believe he's talking in reference to dogs, where he says to the church in Philippi, beware... Of the dogs. Look at verse number 9 of Isaiah chapter 56. It says, All ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Come, ye say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant." Isaiah's writing in reference to the false prophets of the day who were as dumb dogs. Dumb dogs meaning, have you ever known a dog that uh, is supposed to be your watchdog, but it's just too busy laying on the porch getting some sun, and Lord only knows who shows up, and, and they don't bark, they don't alert you to that there's somebody in the... Now, our dog, on the other hand, has got one of those little high-pitched yap, 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 and will drive you bonkers when someone pulls up in the driveway now we've had dogs in the past it's like huh yeah, i don't care and you just kind of wonder what good are you you make it just put a pillow you know it's just as good you just you know just lay in there that's what he's referring to a dog that won't bark 
He goes in through this in Isaiah, referring to these people, greedy dogs which can never have enough. Let me give to you what I believe Paul's referring to here when he says, beware of the dogs. You see, there's a danger in the pulpit today. There's a danger amongst many pulpits where the preacher simply will not proclaim the truth. You know, it's pretty easy to fill pews. Just preach what people want to hear. It'd be pretty easy, you know, we're making our way through uh, the book of John and you come up to the woman at the well and it's like, oh, pastor, you ain't going to touch in on that one, are you? Why don't you just skip over that because you're going to offend several people. No. Understand, preachers who are unwilling to proclaim the truth do more damage than good. And I believe Paul's talking in the book of Philippians here. He says, beware of those preachers who are just giving itching ear messages. They're just trying to tickle the ears of the people who are coming because they want more people in the pews. They want more people putting money in the offering plate. They want more people just patting them on the back. And how many followers do you have on Instagram, preacher? We got to be careful of that. There's a danger in the pulpit today. You see, elsewhere it talks about the, the, the false prophets who cry, peace, peace. And this is what it's talking about here. He says uh, in verse 12, it says, Come ye say they, uh, I will fetch wine, we will drink, uh, fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow uh, shall be as this day and much more abundant. Everything going to be okay. You may be living in sin. You may be living the life of an unregenerate person. You may not be living the life indicative of a saved individual, but that's okay. We're not going to worry about that. Did you ever take a track one day, read the back of it, and sign your name to it? You're okay. It doesn't matter, though, the rest of your life doesn't show a saved individual. It doesn't matter how you act. It doesn't matter what you do because we're under grace, by the way. Dogs that will not proclaim truth. The next one, he says, beware. Go back to Philippians with me, if you would. He says, beware the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Now, uh, uh, hear me on this one. I understand that there are some that maybe they just don't know how to preach. You know, maybe they've never been taught. Uh, or maybe, they, eh, maybe they've got the best intentions in heart. Oh, I, just, I, I like preaching about love, and that's what I think Jesus is all about. And I think Jesus is just a person that's he's loving and loving, and I don't want to focus in. Okay, I understand maybe there's people out there like that. But here he says, what about the one who is purposefully working evil? He says, beware the evil workers. While there are those that have no bite, there are also those who not only do not honor God, but they blatantly dishonor God. Blatantly teaching things that are against Scripture. Now, the dogs are in reference to the people who would leave out certain parts uh, and certain things that are needful. It's like vitamin time, right? And you get those vitamins, and I don't know about you, but I still like Flintstones chewables. But those new gummy ones, though, they'll about rip a molar out if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah, they, 
But then every once in a while, you know, we, we see another vitamin, and it's different, it's new, and it just don't taste the same, and the kids are like, I don't want to eat that. I don't want that. Or what about it's dinner time, and <laughs> you put the meat on the table, you put the taters on the table, and you put the vegetables on the table. And they go to the meat, and they go to the potatoes, and then they just look at you, and they look at that. How many do I have to eat? <laughs> They're peas, son. Can I just get away with three peas? Three peas. Yeah, come on. <laughs> about three scoops. No. Oh. You see, withholding what is good and needful. There are those that will teach doctrines that are gr- at great odds with Scripture. I'm not talking about the uh, quote-unquote gray areas where we get to, you know, the Lord gives us liberty and let each man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the areas where the Bible says to do this and they will purposely go against that. The Bible says grace and they purposefully go against grace. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the, uh, the second person in the Godhead and they will purposely take away the deity of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Those evil workers who would purposefully try to rewrite Scripture. Look at the third group that he talks about here. He says the concision. Beware of the concision. The concision, the word for concision can literally mean mutilation. Now, they referred to this because uh, of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were coming in. They, they would follow, and, and whenever Paul would leave an area, then these groups of people, these Judaizers, would come in, and they would try to reteach the folks and go, oh, you know what? Paul, he didn't have, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the pedigree that we have. He doesn't have the same understanding that we have. have and, and we need to tell you that he only gave you part of the story. He left this part of it out. And not only were they trying to lead people and trying to lead churches into an area that was uh, uh, false and, and leading them astray, they were mutilating the gospel. They were mutilating the truth. And he says, beware the concision. Understand, adding to, adding to the gospel in any way, shape, or form places your faith in you. Do you see what takes place there? If, if I try to tell someone that salvation is, uh, salvation is trusting in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and church membership, what have I just placed faith in? My church membership. Where I say, well, uh, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You cannot truly be saved unless you have been baptized. I have just placed my trust in my baptism. Adding anything to Scripture, anything to the gospel, it takes my faith off of Jesus Christ and places it on my action, my abilities. Now, let's take a look at this as far as the three different ones uh, that are introduced in verse number 3 here. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, For we 
are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Now let's look at the three examples of, uh, of the true believer. First, Paul follows up the saying, uh, talking about um, the concision, the evil workers, the dogs. He follows that up. He says, but we, understand he's talking to Gentile believers. We are the circumcision. The circumcision was in reference to the Jewish believers. And he says, we. And he's speaking to Gentiles at this moment. He says, we are the circumcision. And so what exactly is he talking about in this? Uh, Go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 with me, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 30 gives to us an understanding of what circumcision was all about. Because even in the Old Testament, the physical act of circumcision was, a, it was to be a picture or to point to something that took place spiritually. Look at what it says here. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and look at verse number 6 with me. It says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. It was always a picture of what was taking place inside. The faith was never to be in that specific act. The faith was to be in the one who would circumcise our hearts, or he would he would cut away the uh, the old. He would cut. He would dig into that hardened heart, and he would place in there uh, that soft flesh. That he says, "I can give take the heart of stone away and give you a heart of flesh." And this is what he's talking about. And Paul says, "We are that circumcision. We are the ones that God has done a wonderful work in the heart and in the mind of the believer." and the Holy Spirit of God has come to you and He's living in you and He has taken your heart and He has molded it and shaped it and softened it. That's us! The believers! Anyone who is born again by the Spirit of God, anyone who has that that Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them, the blood-bought believers of Jesus Christ, We are the circumcision where he says here in Deuteronomy 36, I will circumcise thine heart. That's us. Thousands of years ago, he wrote about me. Beautiful. Paul says, now let's take a look at what that means. He says, verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Notice there are three conditions or markings of true Christianity given here. He says, we're the circumcision, and this is what that means. This is how you know. Well, how do I know I'm one of those, Pastor? Is it because I said some words years ago? Is it because I put money in the offering plate? Is it be- nope, 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 nope. Here's how, we, here's how we can tell. We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. True worshipers of God actually have a desire. Well, I went to church today. Well, praise the Lord. Did you really want to be there? Nope. But I didn't want pastor texting me. And we didn't worship him in spirit, did we? 
Well, I, I, I put money in the offering plate today. Really? How much? Well, exactly 10%. Nothing more, nothing less. Did you want to? Not really. Someone tell me one time that we were a restaurant and they, were, they, they couldn't see the bill and they said, well, how, how much is that? I can't. And I said, what do you, what? and they said, I just need to know how much to, t- to tip. And I just looked at it and I told them how much to tip based on about 18%. Uh, I like to give more than the 15. I've waited tables. If you have not, you should wait tables. And then come back and tell me you're willing to tip them a, a, a buck. <laughs> so, yeah, I said, well, it's about this point. He says, no way, that, that, that bill can't be that expensive. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, the bill's this much. He says, well, that's too, that's, he says, I only tip 10%. And I said, well, why? I said, the average is about 15 to 18%. Give more, be generous. He said, well, I'll never give a, a, a waiter or a waitress more than I give God. I said, then give God more, and you can give the waitress more. <laughs> well, I, uh, in spirit. That's what he's talking about, worshiping in spirit. To worship God, not only publicly, but personally. I know a lot of people who know how to get their worship on. But as soon as they walk out the door, it's like, oh, thank God that's over. We don't want to be like that. Look what he says in the next part of it. He says, worship uh, worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. True believers do not only glory in the external things. Oh, praise the Lord, Pastor, I got a new car. Praise the Lord, Pastor, I, I, my health is good. Praise the Lord, Pastor, this is... Oh, no, no, no. True worshipers of God find their joy and glory in Jesus Christ. Think back to the last time you let the situations around you rob you of being able to say, praise God, he loves me. You Think about it for a second. I don't know about you. I mean, I could read the Bible and sum up you and I, but I'm just going to stick with me for a minute. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about me. Based on when I'm reading the Word of God and the more I read the Word of God and the more I study the Word of God, let me tell you about Andy Lake. I'm a worthless piece of refuse. Deserving of hell and everything God could throw at me. Not deserving of salvation. Not deserving of grace. Not deserving of mercy. Not deserving to be looked at a second time. I am deserving of God turning around, walking away from me and saying, let him be sent to the pits of hell for all eternity because he is disgusting. That's Andy Lake. But God. (laughs) If you can't get excited about that, you need to hit the altar when we're done here. For the wages of my sin is eternal separation from God. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Do you get that? 
the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus Christ said it this way in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said to Mary and Martha when he was getting ready to raise their brother from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. Guess what? For the grace of God came upon me and didn't just give me eternal life. He gave me Jesus. When I read the scripture and I realize how horrid I am, in comparison to how wonderful he is. And then I read that he was willing to step away from glory. Make himself of no reputation. Take upon him the form of a servant. Being made in likeness of men. Obedient unto God. Even to the point of death. But not just any death but the most horrific, humiliating death ever invented, the death of the cross. Why can I not glory in Jesus Christ? What can, what can come into my life that would make me say, well, I guess I lost my joy. <laughs> Got a flat tire. Jesus died for you. Oh. Flat tire's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. My kids were awful disrespectful to me today. God, these kids you made. Jesus died for you. God, it's not fair. Everybody else is getting a raise at work, and I'm not. Jesus died for you. My brother bought a bigger house than me. Jesus died for you. My car broke down. Jesus died for you. I'm sick. Jesus died for you. And if you can't get excited about that, go home. Jesus died for you. He says, we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We're going to wrap up with this told you last week, whenever a pastor says, finally, just like the Apostle Paul, he had another chapter to go. I'm not going to do that to you. No confidence in the flesh. We do not trust in our own ability. We don't. True believers... Rejoice, like I said, not only in the external privileges, but in Jesus Christ himself. But here's where legalism comes into play. Now, a lot of people will say things like, oh, gee whiz, that pastor's wearing a suit. He's wearing a tie. He's a legalist. I wear flip-flops and shorts when I preach. That ain't legalism. You ding-dong, I just know how to dress for the Lord. If anybody else has a problem with that, take it up with them. Legalism, true legalism, teaches that your salvation is determined by what you do. That's true legalism. When, when the, uh, uh, the church or the preacher or whoever it is teaches, it's not just by grace alone... Let me tell you what you have to do in order to be saved. You're not saved unless you're baptized. 
And it's not just any baptism. You have to be baptized at our church. You're not saved unless, uh, unless you speak in a certain type of a tongue. You have to do that, otherwise you're not saved. You're not saved unless you put money in the offering plate. You're not saved unless you start, uh, start going out and you knock on so many doors a week. That's part of your salvation, and you've got to work it out. That's legalism. And the legalist says your salvation is determined by what you do. However, true believers say my salvation is determined by what Jesus did, and I place my confidence there and there alone. I do not place my confidence in what I do. I do not place my confidence in what my pastor does. I do not place my confidence in what my church is involved in. I do not place my confidence in which songs I sing. I do not place my confidence in which books I read. I do not place my confidence in how much money is in the plate. I do not place my confidence in what my attendance record looks like. I place my confidence solely in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. Not my pedigree, not my upbringing, not what my parents did, not what my spouse does. I place my confidence in Jesus Christ. That's it. Paul talked about this in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. Here I am. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. I can't put confidence in this wretched man. Think of how arrogant and prideful that is. Yep, I did enough to get saved. (laughs) You did what? That'd be like me bragging. Let's say Brother Jeff and I, we were trying to see who could jump the farthest. And Brother Jeff takes off and he's running and, and he, he takes a big flying leap and those legs are just flying and he lands. I'll give you 20 feet. All right. that's, a big, that's a big jump, isn't it? And he, he lands and he's, just, he's looking, all right, beat that bucko. And I take off and I run, and because I'm a little overweight, my stomach is starting to move forward and the balance is off, so when I jump, I only make it 15 feet. Still pretty good. And Jeff's looking at me going, <laughs> I beat you. It may be bragging rights, but we were both just trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. We fell miles short. <laughs> Saying nobody got bragging rights, right? If your confidence is in anything other than Jesus Christ, His shed blood and righteousness, you're not a true believer. Please hear me. If your confidence for your salvation is placed in anything other than the finished work of Jesus, you're not saved. Oh, don't say that, Pastor. That, that, that might hurt somebody's feelings. I would rather hurt your feelings for just a few minutes than for you to spend eternity in hell thinking you were saved. This dog will bark. We must, we must, as Paul mentioned here, beware of those who would lead us astray from truth. We must. We ought to mark them. Flipping through the stations and you see something, go, oh, that ain't right. Beware. 
beware. Young people, there's coming a day where you may not want to be in the same church as your mom and dad. And you decide it's time, or you may be like me, and you may move from place to place. I can remember when I relocated to the Cincinnati area before I was ever in ministry, I wasn't living a good life. I wasn't living a life that was pleasing to the Lord. I was living a rebellious life, but I knew how to find truth. And I went and I, did, I went on a church search so that when my mom and dad came to town, they would know that I found a good church and I could at least put the mask on for a little while. And I, I, I found a right church because I knew what was right. You've got to learn to beware of those who would lead you astray. Well, how do we do that, Pastor? Study. Study. The more you get into this book, it's pretty easy to point out error. That's what I love about the history of this church. This book has been made paramount. And so if I start preaching something that is false, I expect someone to storm the pulpit. Silence that fool. Study this book. Last, we need to examine whether our Christianity is superficial at best or it's firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Examine it. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Just look at those three things. Do I worship Him in spirit? Do I rejoice in Jesus Christ? And do I have any confidence in the flesh? If that's you today, and you're looking at this going, I don't know Him, and I need to get that taken care of, I encourage you to do that. There's no better time than today. No better, no better place than right here, right now. Well, I, I want to wait until I'm at a... No, 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 no. Don't wait. Because those seeds of doubt and Satan will start to try to snatch that away. You feel the tugging of the Lord Jesus Christ on your heart. Do not neglect that. Respond. Father... We come before you, Lord, humbly. Lord, we don't deserve what you have done for us. We don't deserve the way you have died for us. And Father, to, to make us new, to take refuge and make beauty out of those ashes. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us, Father, to beware. Help us, Father, to examine the markings. Now, Father, if there be any here today that do not know you as their personal Savior, Father, I beg you to tug on their heart in such a way that they cannot leave here without knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt they have rejected or accepted. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be praised above it all. Father, in our lives, maybe those of us who are saved, maybe we've, we've not been worshiping you in spirit. We just need to get that right with the Lord. Father, maybe we've been putting confidence elsewhere. Maybe we've been not bewaring of the dogs. Father, burden our hearts. 
that we would be more like Jesus. We'll be careful to thank you for it, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name and for his sake.